welcome to the week 19 patch. I'm your host, Spencer. Joining me this week is the man who taught me a new perspective on what is or isn't an indie game, Jordan. So many indie games in the world, you have no idea how many things are indie games. It's kind of ridiculous. And the internet's favorite tiger? Yeah, that's me. What if this was also an indie game? Jordan, is this an indie game? I mean, people play us. We're not owned by anybody. They technically play us when they press play on their podcast service of their choice. Yeah. All right. And if they participated in our E3 prediction, that was definitely a game. You can also participate in our Discord. If you think, be in the show notes for the Discord. If you think my ideas of what an indie game is wild, just listen to my ideas on what a game is. It's even more liberal. <laughs> I think what it was was that you were like, if they buy studio, if they're big enough to buy studios and then rename them something X, that's not an indie game. Which I had never thought of. Like, you know, that's a real fair point. The moment you start owning other studios, not indie. Until then, you're independently owned. Private Scrum. We're telling you. Telling you The Scrum. Bayonetta is alive and well, even though we haven't heard anything about the game since 2017. Nintendo assured us this week to GameSpot that it's still coming along. It's live and kicking, and it's in the early stages. Okay. (laughs) Nintendo tried to reassure GameSpot and fans of Bayonetta, but in reality, they were trying to reassure me and me alone. Bayonetta 3 is real. (laughs) This this game will come out. I will play it, and it will be amazing. Nintendo, please keep me updated. Two of those things might happen. It will be amazing. That's a bold statement. It will be amazing. I believe in platinum games. They're they, they have an, a decent track record. Yeah, with their own IPs, not uh, third party IPs. We don't talk about Legend of Korra and TMNT. They, they got some. They got some wins in there. Like they got Persona, and also there's never been a bad Bayonetta game, right? There's never been a bad Bayonetta game. Bayonetta is flawless. The person and the game. Something that's not flawless is Tekken versus Street Fighter is dead, which is going to come as sad news to our co-host Kaylee, who was really hopeful last week that it would be alive. It's kind of weird with, with the way that we're prophetic and just a game that no one has spoken about publicly for like five years starts coming up. And actually, like kind of breaking news as we're recording, not dead, maybe, but probably dead. So... <laughs> Katsuhiro Harada has a vlog series, and he's the face of tech, and he's the face of Dan Banco. He's a uh, director, producer, one of the big roles. Doesn't quite matter for the purpose of the story. He has a YouTube vlog series called Harada's Bar. And the question about Tekken Cross Street Fighter came up on that YouTube show the other day, where you lose, you lose context in the write-ups for this, but as you watch it, he was very visibly sad and disappointed. Saying, you know, we worked really hard on this game. I really wanted to show you the models. Chun-Li looked beautiful. I really wanted you to see the models. And I don't know if you'll ever get to see that. You know, it's pretty much out of our hands. Capcom owns the IP. And I don't really know what to say after that. You know, at least you can see the Akuma model, at least. Which said one thing. The Akuma model that was supposed to be in Tekken Cross Street Fighter is what ended up in Tekken 7. Okay. And it sounded like there was no hope for this game. He said it was about 30% done the last time they worked on it. Now, he tweeted an update in the last couple of minutes before recording saying, this is where subtitles failed us. I'm not saying that this game is dead, 
I'm just saying that there's no, that's been no opportunity to continue development on it right now. That sounds like can't actually say this is dead. Probably dead. It's probably never coming back. But I'll I'll just keep I'll keep the the fishing line out for a little bit longer. See if it's gonna do anything. But take that as you will. I'm gonna still say that it's dead. But he says it's not officially dead. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get fans to rally behind him and ask Capcom. It's Capcom, right? That whole yes. license. And they will ask Capcom to stop making Resident Evil 4 Remake and make Tekken versus Street Fighter. And Capcom will be like, who is that? Because they haven't been actively working on this game for what, 8 years, 12 years? A very, very long time. It was a 360 game, uh, Street Fighter versus Tekken, right? Yes. That's a whole generation that it's just laid fallow. It's not yeah. great. No, there have been two Tekken games that have come out since this game has come out. Apparently Tekken 7 is super successful. And that's Most why successful Tekken I'm doing this. In a game series that are actually dead, people have really weird conspiracies around a blue box game studios game called Abandon. They actually think it's a Silent Hill game. I looked at this for like five minutes and was like, I, I don't understand. It's like a bag of cats. Uh, <laughs> pe- people just want Silent Hill. I want Silent Hill. Yeah, there's this weird, this weird conspiracy theory where, you know, you look underneath the the corner of your garbage bag and you'll see the P and then when you look behind your shoulder, you'll see the T and then all of a sudden Kojima's making your game. Uh, I, I, I wanted to talk about this only because I wanted to talk about it from the studio side because I'm a full believer that this is, there's no way that this is a Silent Hill game. And kind of the best horrible thing that can happen to a studio that's an indie studio coming out with a survival horror game is people thinking it's PT. Because the people will be hyper on your game, and when it's not Silent Hill, it's going to be awful. You're, they're going to have the worst experience ever. And I just hope that someone, I hope that Kojima, just someone, enough people say this is not the thing and people actually believe it before this gets out of hand because Kojima fans get out of hand. Yeah, it's one thing I wish Kojima would do a little bit better with. He knows that they get out of control in like a second. And I think like if he was just like, no guys, like for real, this is not, this is not Silent Hill. I know you all want it, but it's not, people might calm down a little bit. The game is going to have a demo at the end of this month or next month, and that's when uh, people have asked Blue Box Game Studios to put out a statement regarding every the conspiracies and how they are not working with Kojima on Silent Hills. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make a statement when the uh, demo goes live. They they're according to them on the back end, they're working on making it known that this is not a Silent Hill game. Or perhaps they are going to announce that it's a Silent Hill game and they're doing it on that demo day. Who knows? But whenever that day is, I believe it's sometime in August. But when that day happens, the internet will be either super excited about Silent Hills or super mad about this game studio that wouldn't deny that they were Silent Hills earlier. That didn't do anything wrong. They're going to be mad about this game studio yep. that didn't do anything wrong. Speaking of people who did something wrong, uh, CD Projekt Red finally got Cyberpunk 2077 back on the PSN store, but it comes with a warning. Sony basically is telling you, do not buy this game on PS4. They will sell it to you, but they warn against it, which is just wild. Like, just then don't have it. Capitalism's bad. 
Yeah, the on the fine print when you see this game on the PSA, it specifically says for the optimal experience, play on PS4 Pro or PS5 systems. And it's like, okay, I don't know the breakdown of how many PS4s sold out in the wild. It's in the couple hundred of millions, right? Of all of those PS4 systems, how many of them are pro? Not Probably a not a lot. Like, how can you sell this game to over a hundred million possible players as a broken thing? Like, I don't get it from a PR standpoint because when they marketed the marketed when they did the marketing for the PS4 Pro, their big thing was, "Don't worry." We are never going to make it so that it's a PS4 Pro game or that it runs better on a PS4 Pro in a way that is punitive to people who own base model PS4s. It was like a huge thing. Why is Cyberpunk 2077 the game to like break that promise over? Like, I don't get it. Like, it's a bad game, like from like not even a technical standpoint, like just from a standpoint, the game's not very interesting and people don't like it. And it's so far after the release and anybody talking about it, it's like, why this game? Just tell them they can't do it on PS4 and be like, you have to wait till the PS5 version is ready to bring it back to the PSN store. I don't get it at all. I feel like this is Sony unofficially saying, base PS4, we're abandoning you now. Move on. Because that's the only thing that can make sense, considering what you just said, considering the, the promises and pushes towards that. It'll be interesting to see how Horizon 2 and God of War Ragnarok perform on base PS4 systems, because those are games developed for PS4 slash PS5. We know they're going to run well on PS5. We assume they'll run well on PS4 Pro. But it'll be interesting to see how they run on base PS4, because I know a lot of people say that The Last of Us 2 almost killed their base PS4. Spider-Man almost killed yeah. my base PS4. Like, let's get like real about how like my I have the white destiny PS4. So it is a that, pretty that is old what I have. PS4. But I like Spider-Man it. crashed that system to the like like crashed the whole system, not just crashed out of the game and went to the home menu. No, it would like hard crash my whole system several times when it would get like when there would be too much traffic that Peter was swinging through. It would just like crash the whole thing. So I, that is part of the reason I like kind of went hard a little bit on them for the like, well, now it's PS4. These games are, we were always developing them for PS4, but like, is it PS4 or is it PS4 Pro? Right. They also haven't like changed their refund policy. So people who do buy Cyberpunk 2077 on base PS4 and get a bad experience will not be able to get a refund for it. Yeah, so Mike would be don't buy Cyberpunk 2077. I'm like halfway through. I finally hit the halfway through mark. It's taken me, how long is it? Six months now to get halfway through that game. I play it in about 90 minute chunks because it's just boring, like aggressively boring, which you're just like, how is cyber? How is something in the genre of cyberpunk just aggressively boring? I wouldn't buy it. Don't buy it on PS4 specifically. But I, I thought I thought cyberpunk was supposed to be the game of the year contender. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be the game of the decade or the game of the generation. I'm sorry. I, I went back in time seven months I forgot. My bad. <laughs> David Polfield is leaving Ubisoft Massive Studios. Uh, he's been there for 17 years? 17 years. 17 years, yeah. And then 12 years as managing director at them. So together, those are added to make 29. Is that math? Oh, I thought, math. It was, yeah. I thought it was 12 oh, years no, of the 17. Seven, 
Yeah, I think it's 12 on the 17th. So he's been there for, se- he was five years at Massive uh, before he was the studio's managing director. He's not leaving Ubisoft, though. He's going on a six-month sabbatical. That must be nice. And then he will be back to have a new strategic role. He came from an acquired studio, too. So I wonder, just the oblig. I gotta say it, fuck Ubisoft. But I wonder how involved he was in the ironic, massive undertaking that was the harassment at Ubisoft and how like coming from an acquired studio 17 years ago, does that mean that he separated from like, cause this is him moving into theoretically a larger leadership role at a different, at Ubisoft proper or a larger Ubisoft. So what we've been asking for, what we've been wanting is leadership change at Ubisoft holistically. But if you're just right. moving from one place to another, that doesn't. That means that Ubi Massive theoretically might get someone new, but Ubisoft still has a problem of the same leadership controlling everything. Well, I I can't speak for David's behalf. I don't know if he was one of the head people that had issues going on. He might be one of the better ones, and they're moving him into a higher position to ideally make Ubisoft a better company. Who knows? Maybe that may, that might just be me being optimistic. But as far as I know I haven't heard anything about Ubisoft Massive having those similar issues that is that we've seen Ubisoft have the past couple months at the, almost a year at this point, right? Yeah, almost a year. Yeah, at it's this been point. a year now. It's been a year. But at, at the same time, we haven't heard anything against Massive or for it. So it could just be a change in the leadership position, maybe for the better. But who knows? So in May, when we started talking about this, he is one of the heads that is cited in a Eurogamer article that there's been massive changes with like anti-harassment policies and non-discrimination policies. So he's been out there championing that, but that doesn't mean okay. he wasn't a problem. Right. Pre. Of course. And we saw that, I think the thing that makes people leery is we saw that with, is it Ubisoft Singapore? The guy who was ahead of Ubisoft Singapore, who was known to have right. harassment things, just got, like, subsumed into another higher department at Ubisoft proper and didn't have to leave. So, yeah. It sucks that every move that someone makes at Ubisoft internally even if it's lateral now is going to be seen like well what were you doing yep. because of their lack of uh transparency with us on how everything went down we have to we, we literally have to question everything now in an actual game of the year hades looks like it's got a copycat on its hands myths gods of asgard is coming to steam uh mobile mobile okay and it looks like a copy and paste of hades it, it but is- they just it, it is anime Thor. Out. Yeah, it is just Hades with Thor. And <laughs> I wanted to talk about this because a lot of people have a problem with this, and I don't. Only because, you know, ideally they would have made the game look a little bit more different. You know, instead of swapping just the characters, maybe the environment wouldn't look exactly the same. But, like, <sighs> you can't, like, up until recently, you weren't really copywriting mechanics or game loops. Like, games are iterative and copies of them happen all the time. And I think that's a good thing for creative uh, iteration. Even when you look at like Pong, which is one of the 
most like famous and important games of all time was a straight up ripoff of a game called Tenet Table Tennis. That being said, there was a lawsuit that resulted in Atari giving them like $700,000 licensing fee. But copycats happen all the time. And Supergiant said they were going to speak to their legal team to see if there's any action that they would want to take. And I kind of hope that they don't because the the, the extent to which this is a ripoff, kind of shitty. But I don't want that precedent to be set where we're like taking down uh, little little copycat games because otherwise we won't really get a strong iteration. I mean, what what is just Ca- what is Avalanche going to do if like Avalanche is just Far Cry but crazier, right? Like those games are literally the same game, right? Yeah. Like they were just like, I see Far Cry three, we could make a Far Cry three, we could totally do that. What if we just did that, right? Like yeah. <laughs> every two D fighter game is Street Fighter, just every single one. Yeah, but like this Myth God of Asgard game. Uh, maybe I'm just reading too far into this. I look at that, like, comments on the video, and people are saying, like, no, this is actual, like, they got the Hades source code and just reskinned things. Like, oh, that's... If that's the case, then it's not necessarily copying, it's more stealing, and that, I feel like, could lead into legal issues. But if it is just, like, oh, we're copying a similar game type without, like, stealing actual code, I'm less angry at that. But if they're stealing code and, like, technical mechanics from Hades. That's yeah, I mean, in the case of, like, if there's a possibility where that where there was stuff, then of course it's wrong. I don't think, like, once you see a mechanic in a game, you just, you get, a, you get a, cu- a couple people like, let's figure out how that worked. And then you figure out how it works, and then you kind of make, because Hades has been around for, like, six years? Five yeah. Years? I mean, there is such a thing in software called a clean room implement, right? Like, people do that all the time. A big famous one in... Uh, video games is the football game back like in the NES, right? Like there was, I think it was EA did, I think it might be the original of Madden. Like, wasn't it like Joe Montana football? And then like EA clean room implemented, which means you just look at something. People aren't allowed to look at any of the code or any of the source or any of that. And they just try to back solve how you would make that game in that mechanic. Like that's something that developers do for all kinds of things all the time. That being said, uh, whoever I wish I had the uh, team for this uh, in front of me, because a lot of this, a lot of the assets look like heavily inspired by um, Hades, but some of these character designs are just straight up beautiful and and are not Hades. And I think that's going to be, that's not going to be appreciated because it's 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 just hate. Our last story of this week is my least favorite story of this week. Facebook is going to start putting ads on the Oculus Quest based off of your history on the Oculus app and your Facebook profile. <laughs> right there, straight in your eyeballs, ads for you. Not only does that kind of fuck with the whole idea of VR, I... Trying to be this immersive space, but man, it's just it's just the thing I've been waiting to happen since Facebook acquired Oculus. So since the beginning, and it's like they they don't want me to play VR games because I love VR so much. I love it so much. I just bought a VR D and D game. I've been doing all the things, and and Facebook just wants me to stop. They just want me to. You you need a Facebook account to use your Oculus. You, they used to have Oculus accounts. Not anymore. 
That's why I don't have an Oculus is because I don't have a, I don't use Facebook. So like I'm just blocked out of it. They started doing this in other in other AAA ish games too because Street Fighter now between loading screens shows you ads for their DLC, but also ads for the Capcom Cup coming up. All that. So that that's one thing. But like now it's just reading your history and doing the things that every other app does, but like deep on your eyeballs. And it's it's just it's just gross. I don't like that at all. Oh, they, I thought they had done it in MLB The Show, but no, they make fun of it in MLB The Show. I almost was positive, but I guess not, that they had implemented ads on the, like, back banners, like you would at a baseball game, but they're not. So, yeah, no, I'm not super excited about Facebook knowing any more about anybody, and, like, they got in big trouble with Apple because they wanted to be able to track your eye movements with the iPhone camera in your Facebook app. But now they're just going to do that anyway with the Oculus to like figure out what pleases you for whatever purpose that has for their analytics. But I don't know. And I'd argue it's worse there because Typically speaking, if you have an Oculus, you have like a certain amount of disposable, disposable income. Like I think they see people that own Oculus headsets as whales, so they're getting advertising information from the people they seem to they see to be whales. Yeah. Oh, if you don't know what a whale is, it's a person that spends an exorbitant amount of money on a particular app or system or game or anything that uh, companies kind of rely on to uh, spend a lot of money and keep them afloat. Companies and casinos. And That's casinos. The house. Casinos are funded majoritarily by whales. All right, that does it for the Scrum this week. Up next, we have a two-part quality assurance that comes from the news. We're going to talk about how successful E3 was, and then we're going to get into the situation with the Five Nights at Freddy's creator. It's time for the quality assurance. Let's start with E3. So E3 was... I, I had a lot of problems with how a lot of companies handled E3, but for the most part, I think it was like pretty successful in spite of E3, the organization. They, yeah, the ESA and the team that they had running the, the, the event, like I didn't hear. You never confirmed who the team was, right? No, there is no, I've been looking and trying to find out and like asking people I know, like, Hey, who did this? Like, does anybody know what, event group did this and it looks like the ESA did it internally which I don't know if they could I mean I feel it I it feels like they did do it internally because they I kind of think they thought like well we're not doing a physical thing so there's no one who has to liaison between like unions and vendors and the food carts and like the people who lay the carpet and do all those kind of things so I kind of think they might have thought they could do it internally the one thing I haven't figured out was, did anybody do anything else other than watch the press conferences? Was like that the beginning and end of E3? Like, was there anything else around it that anybody talked about? My thought process regarding that is, though the things that were not the press conferences were probably more successful than they've ever been. However, that bar is very low. Like, I would, there was a thing they called the Indies Showcase. Where if you read it, you would have assumed it meant the indie game showcase and it'd be a showcase of indie games. But what it really was was a panel fight featuring indies with a couple of ads at the end. But that got a lot of views. Whereas like any other year, the uh, 
anything that isn't a press conference at E3, where it's people talking or showing the the the, the, the views would just like drastically decrease. Now, I did like very quickly try to research if E3 spoke about their numbers at all, which they did not, which I assume means that they didn't do well. Because otherwise, they would have been, thank you for watching E3 this year. This is one of the best re- E3s we ever had. Or, you know, the return to E3 was a beautiful thing for us, and we'd like to see this continue on growing. Only people we heard that from were Xbox and kind of Nintendo. Yeah, Xbox was pretty pretty bullish on how they took E3. Phil Spencer tweeted out, "Thank you for a great week. Our most viewed E3 ever. We haven't felt the player, we haven't felt player and the team sharing so much energy and excitement since the 360 era. We are inspired by the community belief in Xbox and we will continue to innovate with players at the center of everything we do." Which I mean, I feel like PlayStation came out last year, last generation after getting smacked out in the 360 generation and they're like gamers that's what we're about we're about you the community of gamers and now xbox is like hey that worked let's do that let's do that right the the interesting thing is exactly what happened we i feel like we will always know how well xbox did for itself within the context of if there was a playstation conference this year we will never know how well they did separately because with the because no matter what I think Correct. everyone, if, if all the first parties came out with something, it would have been ridiculously huge. With like having no actual E3 last year and like people waiting for it and salivating for it and licking for the hype, I think that that helped Xbox so much. And if we've learned anything over the last like four years, is that like anything that Xbox gets, Sony can sometimes get double. Like, Which really means that all those people that were waiting and not having Sony their Xbox got it all. They just got it all. And that hour and a half press conference or showcase that was way too long that I didn't like, but showed a lot of people their game, so good for you. It, it did real well. Followed up by the three hour? Is that how long Xbox extended? Yeah, the yeah the extended showcase. That was on uh, Thursday, hosted by Paris. And I didn't watch that because, it was, as you said, it was three hours. I don't know the. Correct me if I'm wrong. The only like actual announcements from that were Plague Tale Innocence coming to next gen, and Design Labs yeah, are coming. Design back. Lab was the big thing. I watched about an hour, maybe, of the E3 Twitch channels, so I got to see press conference and then interstitial whatever they were doing they spent a a lot of money on that set that set was a lot like there was a lot of money put into something that i don't know if it was giving any value back because the part in time i tuned in to watch it between i think it was between xbox and maybe ubisoft no because those weren't on separate days it was probably after the xbox conference was nfts with dead mouse and it was just like i'm literally watching an ad about nfts are we like is this what e3 is it felt like when you would see at e3 there would always be like a weird section of e3 that was like energy drinks and like weird uh like energy drinks and weird like promotional apps like earn points to get game codes and do like that like there was always that weird section of e3 it felt like that's what those parts 
work. Yes, that is the best way I've ever heard this being put. Because, okay, so my feelings about this E3 is that it was the first time in a while that I that I was aware that I was sitting there watching ads. Because that's all E3 is. You're, you're sitting there watching advertisements for things, right? But when you get like an yeah. hour, hour 30 showcase for Verizon, it's like, what? why Why am I here? Why are you here? Oh, because that's how sponsorship works. And when you're a digital-only event, then you have to get the actual physical presence there. And that's what they decided, at least. Uh, E3 was bad for some people. Yeah, like half of the E3 official like conferences could have not happened, and I don't think anyone would have noticed. The Take-Two conference, where they literally did not talk about a single game, could have been skipped. Was yeah. that Take-Two? Yeah, that was Take-Two, okay. I was thinking of uh, Gearbox. They had their conference, which I feel like could have also been skipped. I did skip it, because I don't watch anything Randy Pitchford yeah. says anymore. Yeah, that one could have been skipped. Like, a lot of the conferences that happened during E3 were, like... I don't know who thought it was a good idea to have a Zoom call as a like panel for E3 and do it for, what was it, an hour and a half? The Take-Two? Oh, no, was? I think it was only and an hour like, for Take-Two. Uh, okay, it, only an hour, but like even so, like half of the panels that E3 were promoting, again, they had bad promotion because a lot of the time they didn't have the times until like day of because E3 was very bad at promoting their showcases and panels and whatnot. But like the panels that they did have, half of them were decent, okay. The other half were just like, why is this here? It's here because marketing deals. People pay money for th- to be there. But like it was not a well planned show. So here's all. my big problem with it. And like it's probably an unpopular opinion, but people either need to be podcasters or they need to be promotional hosts. Jeff Keighley's not out there doing a podcast, telling everybody what the industry is doing and whatever. We are all very clear about what Jeff Keighley's role is in this industry. Two of, like, Paris, I enjoy his content. I enjoy Gamertag Radio. I enjoy when I see him and Xbox rolls onto my, when the Xbox, what is the, I don't even know what, Xcast, whatever the kind of funny Xbox podcast is oh yeah that's X-Cast, when that yeah. pops up on my youtube while it's going through play and i'm cleaning i enjoy hearing his opinion but he gives opinion and he talks about the industry like a opinions journalist would talk about an industry and then he went out and did a three-hour yeah. ad for xbox like we're we are blurring the lines between pr and the editorial opinion side of video games so much that it's crazy. Greg Miller's the other one. Greg Miller was the fo- the host of E3. How are you the host of E3 shilling NFTs one minute and then next week you're going to come back and be like, but let me tell you, let me tell you about all the games I saw at E3 in a like journalist, like here's my journalist hat. Like we don't see Keeley doing that. To Keeley's credit, he knows exactly what he does and what part he's good of this at. Is the- is a problem with like games media in general where like it's all being shifted to podcast slash video content, right? So like we're E3, let's say E3 on their side is seeing these people as these people are influencers. They're not editorial people. But they they in actuality kind of right. serve the purpose of that. 
like of a, as of an editorial like person with the type of content. So that line gets blurred on their side, and it's kind of up to but like the people that are doing these podcasts, the people that are getting prepped up to these positions. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fumble this bag, but it kind of means that your editorial credit is. Uh, I mean, I think there's a perfectly good, like, solution to it, right? Like, just don't talk about E3. Like, if you're Greg Miller, you just don't talk about E3 on your podcast, right? Like, you just say, here's a lot. I'm drawing a hard line in the sand of, like, here is my host duties. Here are my duties for being the owner, manager, and face of a the most popular video game news podcast on the internet. Like... Just don't talk about it. There's a ton of people that work at Kind of Funny. You don't have to talk about it. You can hand that off he's, to somebody he, else. He is starting to get, he is starting to become early Jeff Keighley. In that like, he's like. Yeah. No, for sure. He's yes. like Jeff Keighley yes. on G4, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's already Ooh. done his own showcase. Talking yeah. about other people doing their own showcases. What I don't want to get lost here is while most of E3, bad, but the things that got looped into being called E3, got a heavy lift for everything. So those are the things that were successful. So like the Gorilla Collective showcase, the uh, Wholesome Games showcase, they were not at E3, but they premiered during the week of E3. So they kind of got looped in as being like identifying as E3. And that's what I was talking about a couple weeks ago where like these like smaller games using E3 as a platform got like a huge lift they wouldn't have ever got. Like the game Skatebird, which is a kind of narrative skateboarding game where you play as a bird they like showed they showed their wish list increased by like fifteen hundred for like a second on a sizzle reel during E three. Yeah, I mean the numbers that leads us into the next tweet. We have numbers for the metrics <laughs> weren't great. <laughs> like the most popular game out of the past week of E three. Well, it wasn't even a game shown at the E3. It was Battlefield 2024. The reaction, the real trailer had 22 million views and 8.5 million. The gameplay pair had 8.5 million. That's not including the very rabid community of Battlefield YouTubers doing reaction videos and breakdowns and like my gaming tag on YouTube. I try to not use it that much so that it gives me the like, what's generally popular in video games. So I tend to not like click over into the gaming tab so that it stays pristine. It's been all Battlefield for the last week. Yeah, the most recent Battlefield trailer is the most I've ever seen the general public talk about Battlefield. People talk about this Battlefield as if it's going to outdo Call of Duty this year. And it's one of those things where, like, I don't think that's going to happen. But people talk about this battlefield like it is better than Call of Duty. We haven't even seen Call of Duty this year. It's like people are hyping up this battlefield, and I'm not that surprised to see it outdid everything from E3 because it, it got announced like the week before E3, right? Like, right. So, like, seeing how well it did during E3 week is like, wow, people are really into this because Battlefield also was at the Xbox showcase, I believe, or it might have been Summer Game Fest opening day. Battlefield was at one of the two, so people got to see even more of that game. That definitely, like, boosted the numbers for Battlefield being, like, the big FPS of that week because Call of Duty wasn't So the thing I think is very interesting is that people went to the publishers. 
like when you look at Xbox's conference numbers, Xbox conference numbers aren't like super low, right? Like they're a couple hundred thousand like concurrence during the stream. E3 day one on YouTube right now has 1 million views. So that will include all of the concurrence that was happening when it was live streaming and the people who have watched it since then. People weren't coming to that like, people weren't coming to the E3 brand to get E3. They were going to the actual game companies to get yeah. their information. I think that's what which last year I think is interesting taught us. With no E3, everyone was doing their own yeah. thing. And even the years before where people started doing their own things, directs, state of play, all that stuff. We just started learning, oh, we can just, we, that's, we just go to the thing that we like. And then E3 is for everyone else. But uh, I, I wanted to mention for Battlefield, I think, I think it's easy to forget how big Battlefield is because it's not yearly like Call of Duty. It's every couple of years. So like the last Battlefield, yeah, Battlefield fair. V5, five, five? That's, that's that Roman world. <laughs> that's Roman world. That came out in 2018 and it had like a couple of, it had several, like it's mentioned DLC and all that stuff, but the last like proper release was 2018. So like three years of waiting for the next Battlefield, along with the no E3 last year hype, along with being the only shooter that was really announced like that, no Call of Duty at any of the major conferences or anything like that. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna do amazing. It's gonna do the best, uh, it's gonna be the best, most seen show ever, like for E3. Or, Area. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing to remember that's important is the most popular Vizio for Xbox coming out of E3. <laughs> Anyone want to take a guess? Is it Starfield? Nope. Is it Halo? No. Is it it's Starfield? The mini I, that's awesome. I'm God not damn, I forgot about it's that. The mini fridge. People are crazy about that mini fridge. It's got 3.9. I will never say the sentence again. For it. Sometimes I like gamers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I can't wait for there to be one back here where you'll be able to see it I'm absolutely the interesting thing one. about E3 when you talk can't about wait. who won is um, very kind of tangible in many ways now uh, because GameStop released the pre-order numbers as their mo- top 10 pre-order, most pre-ordered games after E3 right and out of those games, two, maybe three, are not showing up on a on a Nintendo console. Seven of those games are. Like, six of those games are for sure. Madden, we're not sure. So the, the games are Metroid Dread, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, Mario Golf, a Pokemon game, Mario Party, Guardians of the Galaxy, Far Cry 6, Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance, which comes out, like, today. Uh, Madden NFL 22 and Pokemon Legends a Pokemon name I'm not going to pronounce. Percy is cool. Last Pokemon Perseus? I played uh, was Silver. <laughs> uh, I think yes. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is coming to Switch in the cloud. So that's how Guardians of the Galaxy is going to Switch. And you know what? I played Switch. Control in the cloud on Switch. Worked fine. So surprising. Yeah. So People we really only don't. In the cloud. Far Cry 6 almost certainly won't come to the Switch. Dungeons and Dragons is not currently announced for the Switch, and Madden NFL 22 is has not been announced for the Switch. There hasn't been a new Madden on the Switch in a while. Uh, yeah, that's I don't think Madden's happen. happening. I think Far Cry might. I it think might, we might actually, get Far Cry in the cloud because of how Ubisoft Connects works. I think that they, I think they might be able to do it because I still hold out hope that we're getting Ubisoft Connect 
you, that's actually for like Xbox point. and so Switch. If you look at if you just look at like pre-orders and like like something tangible in GameStop, you got to take it with a great salt. It's a brick and mortar store. I imagine lots of pre-orders happen digitally. I don't know if more happen digitally or yep. not, but this is a lot of Nintendo winning. Yes, top five or Nintendo. Yeah, and like I'm also. Pleasantly surprised that Metroid is the number one pre-ordered game. Never. Because, like, that was... That, like, two weeks ago, that game didn't exist. And now it's the number one pre-ordered game on GameStop. Like, I think what's... Good for I think Metroid. what's interesting is two and three are games that are coming out, like, almost immediately. Mario Golf is number three. That comes out on Friday. And the second most pre-ordered game, I don't think they showed it E3 at all. I don't even think they talked about it. Was Zelda Breath of the was Skyward Sword HD? They Just did talk about it right before they okay. showed Breath of the Wild 2 in their Nintendo Direct, but they didn't show anything from Skyward Sword. They just talked about, like, oh, this game's coming out July this 7th, year. I think. And yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, and then all the things that you are, we're all surprised about during that. I'm surprised that the number one and number two are Pokemon games because that just sounds like. The Pokemon community is still mad. Like that, like Sword and Shield and not having all of the Pokemon in there has been a thing that I think drove a bunch of like very rabid Pokemon fans away from the series. I do agree with that. I feel like uh right now with pre-orders, uh they haven't really promoted uh Brilliant Diamond or Shiny Pearl much at all. They did they announced pre-orders, I think, uh, almost a month ago. But I feel like the next like Nintendo Pokemon showcase presentation, whatever they want to call it, where they talk about the remakes, that will drive up pre-orders for it. Because like even at the E3 Direct, Brilliant Diamond and Shiny Pearl weren't a part of it. They weren't at their E3 thing, and they're still the top four pre-ordered game on GameStop. That's Stocks. fair. I think there are people are saying that we're probably getting a Pokemon Presents. They really love that alliteration. Pokemon Presents in uh, June or at the end of this month or the beginning of next month is the rumor that is going around from the from the Nintendo leakers that. Yeah, so when that happens, I can absolutely see Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearls like going past Metroid and being the number one pre-ordered game on GameStop for sure. But like they haven't promoted it. And even without the huge promotion, there's still that's fair. Before. So it's it's still. I think Metroid big. just has pent up demand. The last Metroid game was that really good one on 3DS. Yeah, that like, was a remake like three four years ago, yeah. and that was a remake. Yeah, right. I think there's just like a pent up demand for Metroid. People love that series. It's like Silent Hill. You guys are both forgetting uh, Metroid Federation oh, or Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editing that out. That's not happening. <laughs> R.I.P. Apparently that game is canon. It matters. That game is R.I.P. That is what that game is. That game doesn't exist. I refuse. Yeah, I- I've never played that game. Someone pointed at something within the Metroid Dread trailer. It's like, oh, this proves that Metroid Fe- Federation is canon. I'm like, I don't know how that works. Apparently, A game that doesn't thing? exist can't be canon. Oh, so I don't know what you're talking about. What this does mean, <laughs> though, is that uh, you know what? Fair, fair. this is almost certainly going to be the best Metroid ever. And they're actually going to have a successful Metroid game. Because frankly, Metroid games never sell well. And this one almost certainly will. Yeah. Yeah. 
they don't sell well, which is always shocking. But now it's the number one game. I think, I think, we, can probably, I think we all agree that E3 kind of sucked. Not only from like we feel it sucked, but it probably wasn't super successful. However, it was really successful for Xbox and Nintendo. Yeah, for the companies that had good presentations, they were able to find success throughout PC E3. gaming show yeah, was super right. well received too. And like I watched a little bit of that, and they were o- like the only showcase that really like embraced the idea of like this is digital, so get weird with it because it was like basically MST. It was like Mystery Science Theater three thousand PC gaming show, which was like fun and interesting to watch, and like I probably wouldn't have watched it at all if it wasn't a little bit quirky. But people really were like into that showcase for whatever And you know what? I, think I forgot to mention, if you like Devolver's thing, it was still more Devolver stuff, and people like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people get real excited for that every year. And so, okay. So let's move on to our second topic on the quality assurance this week. This is like a frustrating one. The Five Nights at Freddy's. So the Five Nights at Freddy creator Scott Cawthon is announcing that he's retiring amidst criticism about donating to every LGBTQIA hating yeah. Republican on the planet. Like that's basically Since what it comes at down to. At the very to. least 2016? It, it, yeah. Since 2015, actually. The first Since one Trump. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this, right? We we learned that he's been uh, giving money to all, all the, all the people you could think about—the McConnells, the Carsons, the Trumps—and uh, you can see the breakdown because he's all public records anyway. He's written, he's a designer, a game designer. So, like, the money that this man made from Five Nights at Freddy's went to the Republican Party, specifically people in the Republican Party that are super against the LGBTQIA plus community. When brought, when this was brought to his attention, he had a statement. That basically said, you know, this hurts me because gay people love me. Like he didn't. The, the 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 theme of that statement was, you know, I've done. I have a lot of love for the LGBTQIA community, and they love my games, and I like to put a lot of positivity. I like to think I've done good for the world, and I'm going to continue supporting the community that supports me and things of that nature. But not never really addressing the fact that the people that he get, like the people I gave money to, as well, who I felt did the right thing at the right time and would be best for the country. Never really addressing the actual. The other thing that drives me nuts is that he was like, but I I gave money to a Democrat. I gave money to Tulsi Gabbard. Like Tulsi Gabbard's dad isn't one of the most flaming, bigoted, anti-LGBTQIA people on the planet, right? Like we have to remember that's the community and group that she grew up in. Like people have been trying to get her to come out like heavy handed for that community for years and every time she refuses to even after so like what are you saying money there two months after gave money to trump so it doesn't really matter it doesn't really, this kind of takes everything back the, the bad part about this was um following that i think some of the uh i think some of the writings up to write-ups of this was a little disingenuous because following that he did get doxxed or claimed or allegedly got doxxed and like the safety of his family was put at jeopardy, and uh, that's terrible. That's awful. That should happen to no one, even bad people. 
Yeah, don't dox people. Don't do that. I really think that's why he stopped doing the public amulet. Like, it is definitely following the revelation that, like, he is Republican. He's a bunch of Republicans. But, like, that happened, and then he's like, oh, I got to bounce. I'm already, like, I'm already an extremely rich person. I am a millionaire, multimillionaire. I got to go. Yeah, the thing I also find disappointing is he basically did a fuck you, I got mine too, because he's like, I don't do this for money. I do it because I like it. And it's like, cool, okay. And then he was just like, where was it? There was another thing I'm trying to find in the thing. Oh, no. The the one thing that was super disappointing is that he will – he is handing off Five Nights at Freddy's to someone that he will personally choose and trust. Well, after your um, political contributions, I don't really uh, trust who you would pick to run this, right? Exactly. Like, I don't know how that's going to make... I mean, it's it's enough of a thing that, like, he's not going to do it, so we're going to have a whole nother J.K. Rowling situation on our hands where, like... Oh, but he's not like doing it. He's not a part of it anymore, even though he's going to continue to get money from it. I think the way he responded, I'm going to read a bit of his statement, his original statement before announcing retirement. Um, and yes, I supported President Trump because I felt he was the best man to fuel a strong economy to stand up to America's enemies abroad, which there are many. Even if there were candidates who had better things to say about the LGBT community and bigger promises to make, I believe their stances on other issues would have been doing more harm to those communities than good. All of this explanation, I fear, is wasted because people don't want to discuss with one another anymore. They want endless apologies and submission. Those are two different energies. Yeah. Those are two very different energies. Saying, like, listen, I thought this would be great for cure communities. There's no way you thought that for, for Trump. Or most of the people we go for, but then it's like, but nobody talks anymore. They just want, they just want submission. They want apologies. That's not the same. That's that's your truth. That that's the truth coming out, not the other parts of you. Yeah, and like, yeah, no one talks about it because the second anyone criticizes you, you run off and don't want to talk about it. Also, right? Like, I think I saw a lot of people who were very invested in five nights at Freddy's and the like other like philanthropic work that he's done with schools be like, Hey, I'm pretty disappointed that you would do this. Like, do you want to like talk about like why this isn't helpful and isn't wrong? And his statement was nobody talks to anybody. I'm out of here. It's just like, yeah, yeah, no one talks because you're just not wanting to talk about it. That means like wanting to talk about it, having a conversation means you have to listen to why people are telling you the people who are affected are telling you why those policies are actually worse because you're not affected by it. So you won't actually have like a frame of reference of why they would be bad for and you. Bad for that. I feel like it's also important to mention, cause I don't know if our listeners know this cause people in, that only pay attention to bigger video games tend to like not realize five nights of phrase is huge. Like it's gigantic. If you go to a middle school, elementary school, there'll be like four games they're talking about. And one of them, they'll be like, you seen that FNAF YouTuber? You see FNAF? Well, FNAF, they they love. There's a movie. Beat. There's there's merchandising. There's there's it's it's a it's a gigantic series. Yeah, 
There is an entire wall at your local Hot Topic that is nothing but Five Nights at Freddy's. And one of the, like, big issues with all of this is, uh, you know, how he donated money to people who are super anti-LGBT. Five Nights, is Five Nights at Freddy's as a IP sort of lead into a fan theory a couple years ago that one of the main animatronics, Foxy, was gay. And they never went out and denied that or confirmed it. But during previous Pride months uh, from previous years, they would have a Pride Five Nights at Freddy merch, and Foxy was the mascot that they would pick for that, not um, Freddy the Bear. They would use Foxy. He's like, okay, so you're leading into your characters being LGBT in one way or another, and you're making money off of that community only to donate it to people that are actively hurting that community. And then he goes out and says that he wants to do better for everyone. I think, like, I think he truly you're thinks, money off I think people he you're absolutely hurting. that he's doing what he's doing and, and it's the best for the LGBT community. I think that people, there are a lot of people in the world that think, I don't, so this person can say terrible things about about Mexican people. This person can do terrible things about LGBT, but like if they make America a better place, that place, there'll be a place that is better for those communities. Therefore, I am going to support them and it'll be a rising tide that lifts all boats. I, actually, I, I really do believe that he thinks that, but that's not how the world works. If you are actively saying things, actively enacting things that are hurting that community, everything else that you do doesn't make that community better. You're still hurting that community. And I don't think that's the thing that he understands. It's kind of that like, that part of, honestly, with that statement that I read, he comes off as a debate me bro. And that is like kind of typical. For sure from that type of per- yep. understanding of how the world works. It's, it's disappointing because, you know, Spencer said it, like, it's going to be another J.K. Rowling. Where it's like, a lot of people, this is their community already, so you're going to, like, back off, and it's still going to be successful, and you're still going to get money from it, even though you're actively against the people that have come to love and support the thing that, you have, that unfortunately, you have created. Yeah, I, I, oh, I had like passing interest in Security Breach as someone who's like very like tangentially seen Five Nights at Freddy's. Like Security Breach looked like it was going to do something that was cool. I have like no interest in it now, right? Like I feel like that's a lot of people who are just like, what? Why would I do this now? <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I'm literally in that same boat. Uh, they recently put all of. Or- most of the games on Game Pass for both console and PC. And I was thinking like, oh, they're short games. Maybe I'll play it one night on Game Pass. But now with everything going on with this guy, I was like, no, I don't want to support this IP. And I think about like all of the kids who grew up with this, because there are kids, because this IP is like almost eight years old at this point. There are kids who grew up with Five Nights at Freddy's and still love this IP. And it's like, oh, they don't know that a majority of them don't know that the creator is a bad person who has donated to awful causes and people. And it's like, I feel bad for them because a lot of them, since they don't know, are still going to continue promoting or consuming Five Nights at Freddy's content, whether it be the upcoming games or movies. And all of this is going to get more or less brushed under the rug. And he's going to make however much more money off of this IP just so he can continue to donate it to Awful people and causes. It's, so the the record kind of, of donations that we got start in 2015, but mostly pick up in 2016. 
the first five, five nights of Freddy's came out in 2014. Like the money that uh, went, then they made he made four <laughs> within the next two years, like four or five nights of Freddy's. The money that went to those games directly, almost certainly, went to funding those uh, those people. It's, it's, there's no there's not even like a disconnect where it's like, you know, Harry Potter's a big franchise and a lot of people make money for it. In those early days, it was mostly him making money for it. There's some support here and there, but those are very small indie games made by mostly a person. So all that money was just going straight to the hatred of LGBT. I also think it's important to note that uh, not a lot of people know that before Five Nights at Freddy's, he made a lot of uh, very like family-friendly religious games. That like that's like an aspect of it that you're just like, okay, well, now that I know that, that I mean, like it makes sense that you're out here um, support. He, the first one that I see on Open Secrets is for uh, indie for an Indiana. <laughs> guy who is like absolutely horrible he's like one of the sponsors of the indiana bathroom bill so like make that make sense scott like how is the guy you gave granted you only gave him five dollars but how does the guy you gave five dollars to now five years later is supporting a bathroom bill how is that helpful how is that going to make trans people's lives better in indiana like just make make sense end game I was looking at I was looking at his Wikipedia game page and one of the games that he made was a Metroid fan game called Metroid Ripped World. Wow, that, oh. that had nothing to do with anything, but that that's shocking. Because I, I was looking at his Get Nintendo it. sue him. <laughs> do we call that a gameography? Because it's a filmography. I'm gonna call it a gameography. I don't know if this if that's a word that we use. That man has made a lot of games, like just so many. I like that term. Um, kind of the what part for the course for indie games, but like. It's not just the Five Nights at Freddy games that he made. He also wrote 18, 17 Five Nights at Freddy books and novels. I, I don't got much else to I say. I forgot about like, the books. This, this man has made a lot of money from Five Nights at Freddy's, and you, you know what his deal is. So a lot of people want it. And he's given 42,000. Like, the total number of donations is $42,000. He gave away more than like the is, average is, American that person's as a person's salary that can live comfortably. Yeah. So, all right. So I think that's going to do it for this week. Where can we find you, Jordan? You can go to twitter.com slash diversified as of recording. Uh, my game we should talk is on sale on the switch, but if you haven't got that now, you didn't listen to me last week. I'm, I'm personally hurt. I'm personally hurt because it's not going to be on sale when you listen to this. It will be on sale, however, on the Steam store page because it's going to be the summer game sale thing soon. So when you listen to this, you'll probably be able to get it on Steam for 30% off. It'll also be on itch.io for 30% off. I'm not sure it's still going down, so I'm going to vamp. But I believe the itch.io bundle for Palestine is still available. Yeah, I, I was looking into that bundle because I heard you mention it and on the episode that I wasn't on. So I also want to thank everybody for buying the end of bundle for Palestine <laughs> because when I brought it up here, we it had a 
$500,000 amount raised to a $500,000 total. Completely smashed that. And they upped the rate, the total to a, the goal to a thousand, I mean, to a million. It did not reach that, but it did get $899,958.91. So really close to 900000 uh, and Really close. Yeah. And that was, it was a great bonus. So thank you for everything. Hell yeah, for let's that. go. Follow We Should Talk on Twitter. Follow Versified on Twitter. Buy my game on Steam or itch.io. And where can we find you, Zyger? You can find me on any platform at Zyger1337. Uh, I had something I was going to say and I immediately forgot it. But again, any platform, Zyger1337. That's Twitter, Instagram, Xbox, PlayStation. Nintendo has friend codes. That's the lie. You can't find me on Nintendo because friend codes. In 2020. Still exist. 2021. Friend codes still exist. I don't know why. I thought 2021. Wow. <laughs> I'm Spencer. You can find me at Miss MissNintendeek64 all over the internet. I stream Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 on Monday and Wednesday and noon on Friday. Uh, I also have a other podcast, which has an episode coming out tomorrow, which Kaylee is on. So, um, Oh, no. Day before this came out. Good call. So you can just go listen to this. After you get done listening to this episode, you can just roll on over because I'm sure you missed Kaylee and listen to her and I talk about Ed Warren for 90 minutes. So, uh, yeah, we talk about The Conjuring 3. It's a podcast called Is It Halloween? You can follow it at A Halloween Club. This is going to do it for the week 19 patch rollout. Subscribe to future patches on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the weekly patch at The Weekly Patch on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, or join the QA process in our Discord server. Comments, questions, bug reports? Send them to us at hello at theweeklypatch.com. Links to all of these and more is in the episode patch notes below. Week 19 patch complete.